Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our conversation about immigration policy and law. Andrew Joppers, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andrew will be joining us as well. It is June the 22nd, and on this day in 1944, U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the GI Bill, an unprecedented act of legislation designed to compensate returning members of the armed services, known as GIs, for their efforts in World War II. As the last of the sweeping New Deal reforms, Roosevelt's administration created the GI Bill, officially the Servicemen's Readjustment Act, of 1944, hoping to avoid a relapse in the Great Depression after the war ended. FDR particularly wanted to prevent a repeat of the bonus march of 1932 when 20,000 unemployed veterans and their families flocked in protest to Washington, D.C. The American Legion, a veterans organization, successfully fought for many of the provisions included in the bill, which gave returning servicemen access to unemployment compensation, low-interest home and business loans, and most importantly, the funding for education. By giving veterans money for tuition, living expenses, books, supplies, and equipment, the GI Bill effectively transformed higher education in America. Before the war, college had been an option for only about 10 to 15 percent of young Americans, and the university campuses had become known as a haven for the most privileged classes. By 1947, in contrast, vets made up half of the nation's college enrollment. Three years later, nearly 500,000 Americans graduated from college, compared with 160,000 in 1939. As educational institutions opened their doors to this diverse new group of students, overcrowded classrooms and residences prompted widespread improvement and expansion of university facilities and teaching staffs. An array of new vocational courses were developed across the nation, including advanced training in education, agriculture, commerce, mining, and fishing, skills that had previously been taught only informally. The GI Bill became one of the major forces that drove an economic expansion in America that lasted 30 years after World War II. Only 20% of of money set aside for unemployment compensation under the bill was given out, only 20%, as most veterans found jobs or pursued higher education. Low-interest homes uh, loans enabled millions of American families to move out of urban centers and buy or build homes outside the city, changing the face of the suburbs. Only f- over 50 years, the impact of the GI Bill was enormous, with 20 million veterans and dependents using the education benefits and 14 million home loans guaranteed for a total federal investment of $67 billion. Not a lot of money. Well, certainly it was a lot of money at the time, but uh, by comparison today, a small amount invested for great results. Among the millions of Americans who have taken advantage of the bill are former Presidents George H.W. Bush, Gerald Ford, former Vice President Al Gore, and entertainers Johnny Cash, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, and Clint Eastwood. It was certainly a timely bill and very important bill. And uh, certainly it created a lot of wonderful things for the United States. Unfortunately, it helped also drive up the cost of education uh, years later, one of the unintended uh, poor consequences. But it was, a, on balance, a great bill and a great addition to uh, the landscape in America. Well, let's take a look at uh, some of yesterday's primary results. Katie Britt uh, defeated six-term Congressman Mo Brooks and defeat the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in Alabama, Britt was endorsed by former President Donald Trump ahead of the runoff after rescinding his previous endorsement of Brooks. Uh, uh, Britt advanced to the general election where she will face Democrat nominee and Pastor Will Boyd. If elected, Britt will be the first woman to represent Alabama in the United States sentence, <laughs> sentence, Senate. Yesley Vega, a law enforcement officer born in Salvadoran immigrants, after they fled civil war for a better life in America, has won the Republican nomination to represent Virginia's 7th Congressional District. 
Vega, who outshined five of her primary challengers, will now face incumbent uh, Abigail Spansberger in November in the general election. Spansberger has represented the district since 2019. Rich McCormick has defeated Jake Evans, a former chairman of the Georgia Ethics Commission, in the Republican primary for Georgia's 6th Congressional District. McCormick was endorsed by Senator Ted Cruz, while Evans was backed by former President Donald Trump. Evans lost Marks Trump's second endorsement defeat of the night in the Peach State. Uh, small business owner Mike Collins has defeated Vernon Jones in the Republican primary election for Georgia's 10th Congressional District. Jones, a former Democrat state lawmaker who became a Republican, as well as a top black surrogate for then-President Donald Trump in Georgia during the 2020 election, enjoyed the support of the former president. Collins was endorsed by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp last week. Just as an aside, uh, this all doesn't add up what's happening in Georgia. The people that are winning in Georgia right now, they're still using the same uh, Dominion voting machines. Makes me wonder, perhaps, something isn't a foul with regard to these elections. Brian Kemp, for example, was just booed off the stage last week, and yet uh, he and his uh, people that he supports are getting great results in the poll in the uh, election. So, stay tuned on that one. We'll, we'll, I'm sure, we'll see some investigations into that. Muriel Bowser, the incumbent Washington D.C. mayor, has defeated her primary challengers and will likely win a third term in office, according to the race projection from the Associated Press. She faced three challengers in Tuesday's Democrat primary, including council members Robert White and Trayon White. Uh, James Butler, a 20, uh, 2018 mayoral candidate, also challenged Bowser. Of course, it doesn't matter who runs as a Republican because Washington, D.C. votes 80 percent uh, Democrat. So Bowser will continue as mayor of Washington, D.C., there are some other elections going on, but the results were not uh, kind of gelled at this point, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about those uh, tomorrow. Anyhow, more victories for Donald Trump, a few setbacks as well. Well, here's a short story with a happy ending. A legally armed woman shot an alleged attacker inside a Hy-V uh, grocery store Sunday morning in Des Moines, Iowa, Fox 32 reports that the woman fired shots around 10 a.m. after allegedly being attacked by a 30-year-old Capri LaShawn Francis. Francis was shot in the leg. KCCI notes that the police indicated launched, Francis launched a totally unprovoked attack against the woman. Francis allegedly attacked the woman and put her in a headlock prior to shots being fired. Des Moines Police Department Sergeant uh, Paul Perezek said lawfully possessed or responsibly handled firearms can enhance public safety. Period. End of story. <laughs> this is a great story, and none of this, uh, hey, so they arrested her and this type of nonsense. No, she defended herself, and uh, he got what he deserved, the guy that attacked her, and she protected herself. Uh, I think uh, concealed carry is a good idea for uh, just about everybody in this day and age until they get law and order back established. Well, U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday allowed more funding, public funding, of religious entities in an important ruling in favor of two Christian families who challenged a main tuition assistance program that excluded private schools that promote religion. In the latest in a series of decisions in recent years expanding religious rights, the justices overturned a lower court ruling that had rejected the family's claims of religious discrimination in violation of the U.S. Constitution, according, including the First Amendment protection of the free exercise of religion. With only 13 opinions left for the Supreme Court to hand down before the end of the term, a consequential ruling on abortion access will likely be one of the last decisions announced before the High Court's July recess and when the justices... I would imagine all get out of town because there's just so much violence uh, going on with regard to that decision. Well, Joe Biden crossed another major milestone, and I'm not talking about his setting records for presidential vacations, ice cream eating, or inflation. According to polling, aggregate site 538, which is a hard left bent on its editorial side, Biden is now the most unpopular president in recorded history at this point in his tenure. Just in his second year, he's more unpopular than any of his predecessors where polling data exists, stretching back nearly 90 years. Things are so bad that you can't even use the word polarizing to describe Biden anymore because he's not actually that polarizing. Instead, he's just widely disapproved of by a wide majority of Americans. 
None of this is surprising, of course. On Monday, the president made it clear that the pain is in the uh, is the point, bleeding while uh, vac- on vacation again. That crushing inflation and tank gas prices are a chance to make the fundamental turn towards green energy. Biden is telegraphing to Americans that he wants them to hurt, and Americans have gotten the message. Further, as, for, as former Obama advisor Larry Summers said on Sunday, there is no historical president to taming this kind of inflation without a recession. In other words, things are actually going to get worse. That leads me, of course, to the midterms. What on uh, on planet is this possible? Given the, uh, that Biden is the most is this unpopular heading into November's elections, we're no longer looking at above just normal first midterm law, which likely would have delivered the House to the GOP anyway. We're now talking about a guy who's disapproved of at a historical level, and he is only continuing to press the gas as the country careens towards the economic cliff. There is no escape here, with Democrats in charge of all three branches and the fact that the congressional races are hundreds of individual contests. Of course, you can't just take out a single candidate. Anything else that happens will simply be placed at the feet of Biden, not blamed on Republicans. The clock has run out on economic improvement happening in time for the midterms. It's not possible for inflation to be tamed to any reasonable level by November. It's also not possible to avoid the stagnation the country is entering into. Biden made this bed with his radical, idiotic policy pursuits, and he's about to be strapped to it like a gurney. The most unpopular president in recorded history. Well, the Senate unveiled Tuesday the language of the bipartisan gun control bill. Senator John Cornyn struck a deal with Democrats, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's at McConnell's behest. NPR reports that the gun control expands background checks for gun buyers aged 18 to 20. The legislation also expands the prohibited buyers list by adding dating relationships under the domestic violence clause that closing the boyfriend loophole Democrats have been arguing against for years. The legislation also contains financial incentives for states to agree to adopt red flag laws. Representative Matt Gates. Had anticipated the financial incentives for red laws, telling uh, a news outlet that Cornyn's gun control package uses federal money to bribe states to enact red law of, uh, flag laws. He uh, then restated that, saying that Cornyn's gun control package is literally using the federal government to bribe states to deprive citizens of their Second Amendment rights. This is uh, just so sad. A guy in Texas, coming from Texas, Cornyn, and not only is he agreeing with his gun control measures, but he's also looking at immigration reform that would provide uh, uh, legal status for a bunch of illegal aliens as well. Unbelievable. They get elected, but they don't keep their promises, do they? Sometimes that occurs. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and advocating for a limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Yeah, Bob, your work has never been more important than it is today, so I really appreciate your efforts at the Cato Institute. So I wanted to pick up on our conversation from last week. We were talking about uh, immigration, immigration reform, and immigration law and policy. President Trump insisted that a wall was necessary uh, for the security of the United States. Could he build it by declaring a national emergency? It's a close call. <clears throat> the National Emergency Act gives the president authority to declare an emergency based on just about any security-related rationale. But the act also limits what powers can be invoked after he declares the emergency. So uh, Trump relied on language that authorized military construction. There was some question whether um, whether construction to qualify as military had to be in support of a military undertaking, which the wall was not. Mm-hmm. And then second, there was uh, the issue about funding. Congress can, of course, refuse to appropriate new funds. So Trump decided he was going to reallocate already appropriated money. And uh, that produced heated objections uh, from the parties that were losing the already appropriated money. So those were the two issues involved. So uh, what would the Supreme Court likely say about this? Well, the court actually did uh, rule, uh, but not on the merits. Uh, The case was Sierra Club versus Trump, and the Supremes refused to bar construction of the wall. But uh, instead, what it held was that the Sierra Club didn't have legal standing to file a suit because the club couldn't prove that the club itself was injured Mm -hmm. uh, by building the wall. So the case, of course, is now um, mostly moot because President Biden has discontinued uh, construction. But on the merits, there is still a question about whether or not in the future this type of declaration of an emergency is legal. And the challenges are threefold. First, that that the National Emergency <clears throat> Act itself is unconstitutional because it impermissibly delegates legislative power uh, to the president. Second, that the act as I mentioned, permits military military construction, but the wall doesn't qualify. And third, to the to the extent that Trump used funds that weren't um, appropriated or were appropriated for a different purpose, then he intruded on the power of the purse. Um, and of course, the underlying, the threshold question is whether an emergency uh, actually existed. And the courts 
usually give great deference to the president when national security is at issue. But they recognize that, you know, checks and balances are central to our former government, and the courts uh, are the only check when Congress tells the president that he has uh, lots and lots of power. So the the precedent set by this unilateral declaration uh, of an emergency, I think, is a little bit worrisome. And that's why even some folks in the Republican Party who were in favor of the wall uh, were still opposed to invoking the National Emergency Act because of the um, possibility that it would be mischievous and going down the road for some other purpose. Yeah, and I would say that other purpose has already arrived, Bob, and we've seen the Emergency Act uh, used for this a pandemic, quote unquote, uh, that we've experienced right now, and it's still in force, quite frankly. And it makes me scratch my head. It seems to be a real opportunity for a power grab from uh, from politicians. Uh, how do we shore that up? I mean, it's and uh, what can be done in order to make sure that it's not overused. Well, the two remedies are first put Congress's feet to the fire and tell them if they want to craft legislation, they have to make it quite clear when the legislation can be invoked and when it can't be invoked. So that's, of course, the the preferable remedy. The second remedy is if Congress doesn't do its job, uh, we rely on the courts to step in and and, and enforce it and tell us what the law means. Uh, That's a a remedy that's a good deal less, uh, at least from my perspective, a good deal less favorable uh, because it assigns a great deal of power to the judicial branch. And in effect, it puts the judiciary, uh, it substitutes the judiciary for Congress. And uh, that's always a dangerous thing. So we really need to uh, tell Congress that it has to step up, quit abdicating, and tell us what these laws that they pass, what they mean and when they can be invoked and when they cannot be invoked. It's very dangerous to be classifying a pandemic as if it was a national security threat. Yeah, I guess another message is, hey, Congress, uh, judicial branch, president, stay in your lane, do your job. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. So Ken, the president uses his national security powers to stop the asylum seekers from Central America? Well, the federal law, which is horrible, says that anybody uh, who reaches U.S. soil can apply for asylum, no matter how or where they arrived. Mm-hmm. So even if they come in, you know, between legal ports of entry, even if they cross illegally, they can present themselves and apply for asylum. So Trump tried to get around that rule, uh, <clears throat> but the Ninth Circuit Court blocked his attempt. Uh, he wanted to to uh, turn back the asylum seekers unless they came through a legal port of entry. He wasn't permitted to do that. And then a federal district court uh, also blocked his uh, denial of asylum to anybody who didn't first apply to some country that he went through before reaching the United States. That would have applied to, you know, Central Americans coming in through Mexico. Uh, but then in, in, uh, in uh, 2020, the Supreme Court temporarily allowed a revised policy by by Trump, and that was to require asylum seekers to remain in Mexico while being uh, processed. Uh, Biden, now, he wants to cancel that stay-in-Mexico policy. He says the conditions there are inhumane, and I think he's right about that. He also notes that the, the laws and the treaties bar sending aliens to countries where their life may be at risk. So unless Congress changes our laws, which, again, is the preferable uh, remedy here, we plainly need more capacity to process and judge and detain these applicants and then deport those who do not qualify for asylum. We we have uh, recent numbers 1.3 million cases now pending before 550 judges. That's 3,000 cases per judge. Uh, So no wonder the system is all screwed up. Screwed up is a good description, Bob. And right now things are worse than ever with a record number of people uh, trying to cross the border right now. 
I mean, can't people just apply for asylum from the country they live in? Why do they have to? And as the the mechanism now seems everybody arrives at the border and claims asylum. That's that seems to be uh, putting a terrific uh, strain on the on the situation. Well, that's a that's a very interesting issue, and it brings up the uh, difference between the refugee program and the asylum program. The refugee program admits migrants from their home countries after rigorous security and health screenings, and then provide some support if they qualify, for resettling them here. Uh-huh. About two-thirds of these refugees come from five different countries, Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, Sudan, and Myanmar. Uh, for years, the U.S. led the world in refugee admissions, but Canada now is, uh, is the leader, even though it, Canada has about 10% of our uh, population. So by contrast, the people that we were talking about who come to the seek admission at the border, they're not part of the refugee program. They may be asylum seekers or simply illegal aliens, and, and they have come for other reasons. They have not been through the refugee process. So you're, I think you're absolutely right. We need to be able to process a good deal uh, more of these folks uh, from their home countries, which means we need to install the administrative a process to accomplish that goal. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show and our reference, our refer our listeners to your website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, uh, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now and find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. We typically start off with good news. Do you have some good news for us? I I have some. I think it's actually good news. The Supreme Court's uh, ruling, (laughs) excuse me, uh, yesterday in terms of uh, 
funding for religious schools, I think, is a uh, is a very uh, strong piece of good news. Um, I think anything that opens up schools for uh, variety and choice, I think, is 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 always a good thing. So uh, I think that ruling at six to three was a uh, a very positive statement of of that school choice uh, mental state or mindset. And I think it's it's going to matter as time goes on. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm really hoarse today, Bob. I'm sorry about that. Uh, let me make a few other comments about uh, funding in schools and uh, the uh, my thoughts historically in terms of funding. I have always believed, Bob, that funding of schools is critical up to a point. Mm-hmm. In other words, there is a right amount of funding. Once it exceeds that right amount, what happens is it reverses the whole process of benefit. What happens with more funding is they start to add more programs, more diverse programs. So rather than focusing on the essentials of reading, writing, arithmetic, as, the, as it would be said, uh, what happens is the schools start to uh, branch off into other materials that are less meaningful and less significant uh, in, a, in a confined, finite period of time in the school day. So uh, funding is critical. I'm not in any way denying that for schools. But on the other hand, too much funding is and can be a problem. And, and as long as I'm here with education, uh, let me just mention another uh, area that I had had written about and done some uh, studying on, and that's the issue, Bob, of scripted schools. Now, scripted schools are where everything is predetermined. The uh, the teacher in the school has a uh, an iPad, a uh, of some sort. Uh, and essentially, they have their complete lesson predetermined, uh, including what they put on the blackboard, when they walk around the room. It is a totally structured uh, structured uh, educational presentation. Now, normally, Bob, I would not um, advocate for that. So I'm only advocating for that in the environment that is modern America, current America. So I believe that as a transitional thing, we could move to some variation of scripted schools so that we can ensure through public debate that the appropriate and necessary materials are taught and that the the ideologically driven materials are are suppressed. So, um, again, I would make a longer statement about scripted schools, but uh, at this point I'll just leave it as uh, I think it may be something useful in the short term for the American educational process, Bob. Yeah, a couple of comments on that. Uh, first of all, today is the anniversary of FDR signing the uh, uh, Veterans Act that, that gave uh, education for veterans returning from World War II, which was a tremendous thing. But one of the unintended consequences, I believe, is that it just uh, started creating third-party payers for education. And the consequence of that is, as you pointed out, a growing administrative state in the university setting. It, it created lots of courses that uh, we don't need, unfortunately. And uh, it's really created tremendous expense for kids that are now going to school as a consequence. So uh, that's one. The other thing that I'll mention is that with regard to scripted schools, that uh, there is some sort of a dialectic that should occur, occur in the learning process. In other words, the teacher may know his or her part, but the student may not know his part or her part. <laughs> and it ends up going off track. No, I mean, look, they, these are, I think what we are both dealing with, if I might uh, frame your remarks and mine together, is that we're looking for some answers to the, uh, to the problems of American schools, the, uh, their, their uh, declining competitiveness uh, against yeah. uh, uh, the international educational arena, uh, I think can be well documented. <laughs> I think the, uh, the failure to produce high school students that are, that are even um, literate in, in most meaningful ways of describing literacy, uh, I think all of these things have to be considered. And uh, so I think we're looking, and I'm looking, and I think your remarks would indicate you're looking for some some answer to this problem, and uh, I don't really find scripted schools to be a good answer, but sometimes an answer of any sort right. uh, in the face of a dilemma like we're facing, Bob, is a good answer. No, that's a great point, and I would just encourage, if you just take a look at the history of funding of education, we've had just, uh, we've seen education funding balloon, especially on a public basis in government schools, and the cost of the results have gone down, and especially in comparison to other nations around the world uh, we're, we're just not pulling our weight right now so money is not the answer 
It, it is never proven to be the answer. I don't think anyone can cite a school system uh, that turned around a bad educational outcome uh, with more money and turned it into a good educational outcome. It just doesn't happen. I, I would also add that in, in my involvement, deep involvement with the public schools uh, many years ago, uh, it, I have never found a public school that outperforms its students. Now, what that means is if the students coming in are coming from literate homes with libraries and books and uh, being uh, supported by their parents, those students will do well in any school. Right. The students that come in that are not of that type will not do well. In other words, Bob, I have never found that the school system essentially is the primary factor in determining the educational outcome of a student. Uh, I'll add this too, and I think that uh, there's probably some percentage of students, maybe let's call it 10%, but it's probably not 10%, but they will be successful in their learning process irrespective and in many cases in spite of the education program that that surrounds them. Although I do believe that there are some students that uh, if they don't have the environment for learning, they won't learn. So uh, I think, you know, having the right environment for students is pretty important. And I think we also have to return to the uh, the process where we, we we teach to the upper end of the class. Now that has uh, disappeared almost entirely. We now uh, almost entirely teach to the bottom end. Uh, what that means is that the the bottom end has been brought up in, in to some degree, but again, it's been always done or generally done at the expense of the upper end. In my experience, Bob, when the upper end is focused on, and I'm not talking about elitism, I'm just t- talking about teaching a class where the content is geared uh, towards the best learners in that environment, that everyone benefits by that focus, Bob. Absolutely. Anyone take a little break right now? Uh, can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. 
So, Andy, I'm just, uh, do you see the absurdity that I see in what's going on in Washington, D.C. and in our government? I'm overwhelmed by it. Uh, anyone who's paying attention should be overwhelmed by it. I, I think it's, it's important to point out the absurdities, Bob, because uh, in, in themselves they may not be dramatically important, but I think they show a, a particular mindset, uh, as particularly of the progressive politicians in, in the D.C. Uh, beltway. Uh, let me just point out one that came out yesterday. Joe Biden uh, says he wants to cut nicotine in cigarettes. Now, it's another example of them wanting to look good rather than doing good. Now, what will happen if Biden cuts nicotine from cigarettes? In the first place, nicotine is not the damaging part of the cigarette. It's addictive, but it's not damaging to the, to the physiology of the smoker. If they cut nicotine, what will happen is the people will have to perhaps double their amount of smoking to <laughs> eat, reach the same nicotine level. And by doing that, Bob, they will then bring in twice the amount of the damaging substances, carbon monoxide, for example, in cigarettes. So here's Joe Biden theoretically offering something that looks good, but is not going to do good. In fact, it will do perhaps serious harm to this society. Uh, I know it's a, a, perhaps a limited issue, but I think we can see a mindset of, of looking good rather than doing good. I, I can emphasize that with the, uh, the statement yesterday, I think yesterday, uh, by Carlton Waterhouse, the um, EPA nominee, nominee from the Biden administration, who wants to offer climate reparations. Uh, this would be a factor of the, particularly the United States and Europe, uh, since they have been the primary generators of the greenhouse gases in Waterhouse's opinion. I mean, that leaves China and India out of the equation entirely. And what he wants to do is impose a tax, sort of a sort of a tax, on the West, on America and Europe, because of the climate damage they have done to other nations who have not done anything of the sort. So again, another circumstance where Waterhouse uh, and the general position of the, the progressive is to look good rather than to do good. Uh, so I think you know, that is something as a constant theme that I think we have to, we have to keep in mind. Well, I'll add this, that the other thing about government programs is they want to look good at the river, uh, river uh, ribbon cutting. In other words, it's all show, for example, in, in uh, what we're going to do and how great it's going to be. Very little positive follow-up. And you just take a look at Obamacare. We've got 10 million people on, on Obamacare right now. It's an abysmal failure by any measure, by any metrics. You can see, but remember all the hoopla and the, and the uh, praise for the whole program of you know, beginning the whole notion of a single-payer system and so forth. It's been a total abomination. Bob, I tell you, my, my wife and I just went for our annual Medicare physical, required physical, and it was the most complicated thing I've ever, I've ever been through in my life. Just paperwork. It was, it was incredibly complicated. So uh, I think since the, the Obamacare initiation, uh, what we've seen is a, uh, is, a, is a dramatically increasing level of regulation, paperwork, bureaucracies, uh, and I think that has been done to the, to the uh, this damaging aspect of, of real health care. So um, I think you're, you're absolutely correct in, in pointing that out. I think that is uh, in keeping with my theme of looking good rather than uh, rather than doing good uh, this is not quite in keeping with that but i think it's an interesting uh, story bob yesterday uh, abc news posted a tweet where they offered specific uh, comments on the outcome of the 2022 elections they said the dems will democrats will hold the house and they will pick up four senate seats not not three not five not some four Senate seats. Huh. Now, immediately after that, when ABC News was challenged, they removed that tweet. Now, the only point I'm making, and I, I guess I'm entering into conspiratorial waters here, is that ABC News somehow knows the outcome of this election. Now, that sounds, that sounds absurd on the face. On the other hand, if we go back to 2020, and we look at Joe Biden sitting in his basement for the entire time of the 2020 campaign, uh, it seems to me a case can be made that Joe Biden knew the fix was in. So I am concerned that ABC News may, in fact, know 
Just about the same thing, Bob. The fix is in. Well, I have no doubt that there's an attempted fix that's going on right now, but uh, you're absolutely right. And it, it wasn't, you know, actually, if you recall, there was one point in time where Biden said, you know what, the fix is in in this upcoming election. I hope uh, that uh, once the election is over, you'll support me, irrespective of the results. Do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember that comment? Yeah, yes, I, I do. I, I think it was even more dramatic, and it's. Uh, he said, as you said, we. Yeah, we've put together the most sophisticated uh, uh, vote cheating system ever created. Something to that to to that effect. And I hope you know once the results are in, I hope you'll support me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not optimistic about 2022 uh, in terms of the Dallas. I am very optimistic in a legal election, a legal election as to uh, I think the uh, the Republicans will take the House dramatically so uh, and. Get a clear majority in the Senate. I think that's a legal election. But when I hear Bill Barr, for example, talking uh, at his presentation at the House the other day, uh, and he just laughed at the D'Souza findings in in 2000 mules and rejected in its entirety the potential of a of an election changing uh, process in 2020. And I think if we're getting if we're going to get that kind of commentary yeah. that 2020 was a uh, a straight election. Uh, then we're going to be less less willing, less able, perhaps, uh, to actually challenge the forms of the 2022 elections. And if we don't do that, and there's not a lot of time left, obviously, uh, I think that there is a great chance for significant levels of illegality, Bob. Well, speaking of which, of course, now the January 6th committee continue. The beat goes on with that group. And, of course, the whole process seems absurd to me. Any thoughts on that? Well, I just published a blog that was <laughs> very... Very uh, derogatory in terms in terms of that committee. I I, uh, I, I have a, a deep contempt for their process. I, I know it's theoretically legal and only theoretically uh, I can make a case that it is not that the uh, the House is totally outside your lane in terms of this entire January sixth investigation. A case can be made that it certainly is a kangaroo court or a or a Stalin purge trial. Your choice. Uh, and yet this this thing goes on. It's being given uh, massive amounts of of media support uh, with the all of the major networks and most of the cable stations uh, uh, broadcasting it. Uh, I think we're looking at a, a process. Uh, in my estimation, I do not think that the, the Democrats think they're going to win, so to speak, uh, the January 6th process. I, and I, again, this sounds conspiratorial, but I think what they're trying to do is set up a defensive mechanism as to why the 2022 midterms turn out uh, in a different manner from the polls. In other words, the polling shows a strong uh, red surge. I think that the Democrats are... are constructing a, a blue process, and I think they have to explain it. And I think the January 6th process, as ineffective and as absurd as it is, Bob, I think that is what they will throw at us as the reason for the shift from the polls to the actual election counts on 2022 election day. Bob. Such an interesting observation. I'd never looked at it that way, Andy. Uh, to me, it looks to me what they're trying to do is to continue to discredit uh, President Trump and uh, their ultimate objective, if everything works out exactly as they want, is his name won't appear on the ballot because, uh, you know, they've proven that he cheated and uh, he created some sort of an insurrection. Well, as it said, Bob, I think Donald Trump is being rent-free in the entire uh, heads, uh, in the head of all of the people on the left, and uh, with good reason. They yeah. know that in 2016 he was uh, the only barrier that prevented them from uh, a complete uh, takeover of this government. I think if we had projected at eight years of Hillary Clinton uh, from two, 2016 forward, uh, we can only imagine what it would have been without the four years of, of Donald Trump. So, yeah, they clearly identify that Trump uh, was who and the only thing that got in their way then. And I think they understand that Trump will be the most likely thing to get in their way in 2024, Bob. No question. Andy Joppa, again, I want to, want to take a little break here. Can you stick around? I'll still, hip, still be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, you're the reason I get up on Wednesday morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Andy. Oh, your commentary is just terrific. And, and, and with that in mind, let's let's turn to the Ukraine, or, or to Ukraine, I yeah, should say. We don't have a lot of time left, but I think Ukraine uh, certainly warrants uh, some comments. Uh, there have been some developments. Uh, I think the uh, most significant development probably is the uh, the ongoing uh, level of death, both Ukrainian and um, and Russian in uh, in Ukraine. Um, I think the uh, damage to the infrastructure, uh, God knows if it can ever be uh, be repaired, and certainly in in, in anyone's lifetime right now. Uh, the French <clears throat> have supplied. Uh, the Ukrainian military with two particularly devastating weapons that uh, that have a possibility of, of changing uh, this, how this war will unfold. Uh, the first thing they supplied it, supplied was something called the Caesar. Uh, it's a long-range artillery piece, can fire six rounds a minute, and has a 25-mile range. Uh, it is a devastating weapon. It's mobile. Uh, you can move it uh, wherever you want, and uh, at six rounds a minute, a very heavy caliber, 155-caliber uh, weapon. This this is a, a weapon that can seriously impact on what is going on in the eastern provinces. In addition to that, France sent in their their anti tank missiles, one of the best in the world, the Milan. Uh, and again, that again is going to uh, seriously uh, affect the the outcome, uh, certainly of tank warfare in the eastern provinces. So we have to see how this plays out. This uh, this constant escalation of of type and uh, offensive offensive nature of weaponry uh, begins to worry, begins to, it's always worried me. Um, the destination of, of this, if the, uh, if, the, if the battle does not shift more towards uh, Ukrainian victory and they keep escalating the weaponry, um, what, what are they going to do, Bob? Are they going to give uh, Ukraine nuclear weapons? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost saying that facetiously. On the other hand, with the escalation, it, it seems to be possible. If we look at some of the, the, the current uh, takes on this from some of the uh, the best geo strategists. Uh, uh, the one I'm citing particularly is uh, uh, the most prominent global geo strategist, uh, Ed Luwak. Uh, he says, first of all, Russia does not want to take Europe. They haven't the slightest uh, slightest interest in taking Europe. Hmm. He suggests a solution, which I certainly would support. Ukraine does not join NATO. 
but joins the European Union and the eastern provinces, the status of the eastern provinces, Donetsk and Lebansk, will be decided by plebiscite. And there it is. There is the end of this war. Uh, now, if both, of course, both have to uh, accept it, uh, I see no reason why Russia wouldn't. Um, at this point, at least, why they wouldn't. Uh, they, in fact, understand that the, the heavy uh, indigenous Russian population in Donetsk and Lebansk will probably mean that the plebiscite will uh, create independence for those, uh, for those regions and uh, alignment with, with Russia. Um, I think that by preventing uh, Ukraine from going into NATO, that, that satisfies uh, Putin's major lament. But again, Ukraine can link itself to the West by joining the European Union. Uh, so I, I think right, rather than uh, fighting Russia down to the last Ukrainian has been said, uh, could we start pushing towards a negotiated settlement? The French, in spite of their supplying this uh, powerful weaponry, constantly pushes for uh, a, a negotiated settlement. Uh, we have to start moving towards that. Uh, Merrick Garland is right now in Ukraine uh, working towards the fulfillment of, of prosecuting war crimes. So, uh, and by the way, I'm not saying that shouldn't be uh, a potential at some point in time, but right now what we have to do is try to save lives, save Ukrainian lives, save Russian lives by let's, let's initiating a negotiated settlement, Bob. You know, there's a book out, Andy. It's an old book, but it's called War is a Racket. In other words, it pays off to a lot of people, to a few people, quite handsomely. My point is, uh, I guess, uh, do, is that what people really... Do you think that, uh, for example, uh, Zelensky really wants peace? Do you think, based on the behavior and what you're seeing, not what he's saying, but what he, uh, how he's behaving, or do you think Putin wants peace? I think neither has an appetite for wanting to solve this thing. No, I, I don't think, as I mentioned last week, I don't think anybody really uh, cares about the Ukrainian people. Uh, as I said, that included the It includes Putin, but it also includes Lewinsky. It includes uh, his attitudes towards this process, uh, and he's more than willing. Right now, they're conscript conscripting uh, young Ukrainians off the streets uh, to fight in these wars and die in these wars. Uh, a negotiated settlement... Uh, those bombs may be too late to seriously affect the uh, the infrastructure of Ukraine, but it, this cannot go on in its form, Bob. Yeah, it's a sad deal indeed. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, I always appreciate your comedy. Before I let you know, in my notes, to you, you'd made you wanted to make a make a comment about Netflix and Prime Video. Uh, real quick, I just um, <clears throat> have been following two of their shows based on uh, some reading I've done on. One is the, uh, the, uh, the, the Netflix show on, um, <clears throat> uh, oh, it's called The Web of Make-Believe. And one of their episodes was a murder in D.C. And that uh, featured the, uh, the murder of, of Seth Rich. And I have never seen a more... Uh, uh, obvious whitewashing of this whole process. Yeah. They left out almost all of the pertinent information on the, the Seth Rich story. They, uh, they took remarks by Assange out of context. Uh, and again, it was a total whitewash of the Seth Rich affair, which, if it is as it has been suggested, was a murder of Seth Rich by the DNC right. because it was release of, of privy information to Assange. And I'm not saying I, I believe that. I am just saying that no one knows, and this should be investigated. Washington's police have, have not done a good investigatory job with that. Uh, the, the cameras were off or fuzzy. Uh, so this is a very suspicious murder. Uh, he was robbed with nothing being taken. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's a horrible story. In terms of the other show on Prime Video, it's called The Boys. It's a story of, of horrible superheroes. Now, again, just a, uh, just a strange story, obviously. Uh, but these strange uh, superheroes, crazy, violent superheroes, uh, mouth uh, all of the positive comments that come out of the, of the conservative right. So they put into the mouths of these crazies the remarks that might be made legitimately. You know, for example, America, America first. And they put it into the mouth of a crazy man, a crazy superhero. So I, the only point I'm making is that there are these types of vehicles primarily going into the minds of, of young Americans that offer such distortion, such corruption. And, and I don't know in the long run, how we 
ever undo these processes, Bob. So interesting. Great observations. Andy Joppa, again, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you enjoyed it, tell your friends. That's how we grow the audience and, of course, support our advertisers as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.